This is Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art, because doing good work takes time. I'm Chris Kreitcho. And I'm Stephen Caradini. And I'm Ryan O'Neill from Sleeping at Last. Woo! We are really excited to have our first guest on Winning Slowly, and we're super excited that it's Ryan O'Neill of Sleeping at Last, who, if you haven't heard Sleeping at Last music yet, you actually have because it was the intro music. So now you know. Uh, <laughs> But he's he's been in Sleeping at Last for over 15 years now, and uh, he's been doing a variety of things over that time. And so we're going to talk to him about the specific project that he's just most recently finished up, the uh, Many Beautiful Things soundtrack. And we'll also be talking to him about the scope of his career and the future. First of all, thanks so much for being on the show with us. This is awesome. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. How did you end up writing the soundtrack for Many Beautiful Things? Yeah, so um, my friend Laura Waters Hinson, she's this uh, incredible filmmaker that I met um, probably four or five years ago. And uh, we had talked about maybe at some point doing doing a project together. And um, she had actually, for her previous films called Dog Days, um, she used a bunch of Sleeping Last music. It wasn't original score, but um, she used a couple of my, uh, I guess a handful of my songs that were just Sleeping Last songs. So... Um, when she was making Many Beautiful Things, this documentary, um, she was kind enough to invite me to write the music for it. And um, it was a project that I, I felt really excited about. And so it was a it was a no-brainer yes, for sure, for <laughs> me. So um, that was about a year ago. So we uh, we had a blast making it. And um, I got to – I got to. it was my first feature film that I've scored. I've done a little bit of scoring for commercials and, um, and short films and, and even a little TV but I hadn't actually done a feature length film. Mm -hmm. So this was a first and it was really a, a really fun experience. That's cool. So what was it that attracted you to the many beautiful things project? And maybe you can tell us a little bit about that project. Yeah. So many beautiful things is a documentary. It's about this, um, this, uh, this, I guess, late 1800s painter. Her name is Lilius Trotter. She's kind of a, she's a very little known artist. Um, she was this watercolorist that was, uh, just an incredible, incredible painter. And, um, right at the kind of the peak of her education in art and in her work, um, she decided to kind of leave it all behind and go, um, serve other parts of the country, the, the, the poor and the, um, the kind of the, um, the, in, in several different places of need. So she sort of at the peak of her art, just decided to abandon it. And, and, um, I guess abandon is kind of a negative word, but she decided to make a, um, this really, um, kind of noble and beautiful choice to leave her art behind. And, um, and which is why you probably have never heard of her, Right. Yeah. <laughs> but she's yeah. this really incredible painter. She was kind of taken under the wing by this, uh, this art critic named John Ruskin, um, who, uh, who kind of predicted her as being like one of the best watercolor painters mm -hmm. there, there was at the time. And, um, so it's this really beautiful story about, um, well, first of all, I should say that I, I love painting and oh. I, I don't, I don't specifically paint myself, but, um, uh, but I love the the art of painting, and um, so in all of my Sleeping at Last album covers are paintings. So I thought, um, mm, first yeah. of all, the, the subject matter would be really really fun to kind of create music for for these beautiful watercolors. But also after seeing her art, I was just like, okay, for sure, I want to I want to figure out what that sounds like. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the story is it's a really really beautiful story of um, her making that decision and kind of her life and uh, kind of kind of putting her into the spotlight. This uh, this wonderful person. Lilius Trotter. Hmm. That's awesome. Now I want to go watch many beautiful things. 
So when you were doing the project, what was kind of a song that could encapsulate the whole project for you? Was there one moment or one song that you said, yes, this is the key element or the the turning point that really helped you get the project done? Yeah. So right at the beginning, she, she put together, so I, to my understanding, um, most films do this where they put in temp music before the score is written. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of a, like almost like a color palette for what the, what maybe the director had in mind for what kind of emotion or mood the music is supposed to create. And so when she did that, she actually used a, a ton of sleeping at last music, which was really mm-hmm. helpful because obviously that's <laughs> right in my, uh, you know, you know, that ever, <laughs> it's exactly what I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't be, wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a stretch for me to figure out what that would sound like. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so uh, I think the song that she, she first cut in was a, a song of mine called woodwork. And, mm-hmm. um, she had an instrumental version of it and it started the film. And I think we kind of used that as like the, kind of the emotional template for the rest of the film. Cause it was, it had like a mixture of like being kind of serious, but it also had a little bit of like whimsical production in it. There's some more sparkly, pretty kind of things, but it also had like this kind of um, somber and serious tone mm-hmm. as well. So that was actually the first piece of music that we knew um, would kind of inform the rest. So after that, um, I think it was actually, uh, it was probably the, the, the piece of music called Almost Idyllic that was, that seemed like that, that felt like the most uh, thematic. And I, I re- kind of reprised the, the melodies um, a few times throughout the film. And that, that one kind of seemed to be the, the thread that held it together. It was sort of, it kind of felt like Lilius's theme for that character. So, um, and that was one of the first pieces of music I wrote too. So that, that also guided the process. So as you were writing the project, um, you said that you've written for you know TV. I'm familiar with your work in Grey's Anatomy and some of these these things. How was writing for a movie different or similar to writing for these other media? It was. Um, it wasn't. I guess the difference is you're, you you get to spend a lot more time focusing on it, especially with like TV or ads and things like that. When you're writing for that, there's usually really, really extreme deadlines. Mm-hmm. And with, uh, with this film, it was sort of like I had a couple months to really kind of enjoy the film first and then kind of sketch it out. And mm-hmm. um, because there is so much music, it's, it's, uh, I mean, cause I, I, it's, and it's pretty jam packed. The film itself, which will debut later this year mm-hmm. in America. Um, it's pretty, and, and it's probably a, a, a a film score uh, error on my part, <laughs> but the music is pretty like from start to finish. There was, there's a lot of music, like there's very little breath. I mean, there, there are intentional breaths in between. And a lot mm-hmm. of the music kind of um, is breath in the, in, in, in a lot of, in, in a lot of the storytelling, mm-hmm. but um, it's kind of jam packed with songs. So because it was such a long form project, it, it, that's, that was a huge difference between like writing a, a you know, something small for a, commercial or for um i guess the tv show i did was also pretty long form i did a a 
a show called Kid President Declaration of mm-hmm. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really great show. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's it was uh, yeah, I know Kid President. Okay, cool. It's um, it's really really fun. Totally different than my normal stuff, but it was really kind of uh, exciting to play with these you know kids instruments and um, kind of focus on more playful music, which is not typically what Sleeping Last is known <laughs> right. for. <laughs> right. This is a little bit more of a somber tone and what I do, but um. So yeah, so I had a little bit of experience with that and that was uh, about eight episodes. So there was probably a total of four or five hours of music Mm -hmm. that I wrote for that, maybe a little less than that. And so this was fun to just focus on one project, start to finish two months. I wasn't jumping around episode to episode Mm -hmm. and I actually scored it in sequence. So I, um, I don't know if that's common or if that's the wrong way to do it, but I did, I started (laughs) the film, (laughs) I started the film and sort of wrote my themes, um, for each of the characters kind of as they were developed, as they were introduced in the film. And I just kind of went piece by piece from, you know, the first minute to the last, Hmm. So, so that was, I guess, a little bit different because in the TV show, I would jump around in episodes and kind of, you know, I'd be working on episode six at the same time as three. And, um, so this was, uh, this was kind of fun to kind of have that cohesion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's cohesion word that cohesion is, a word. is a word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it did, for, for a brief second there, it didn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> It's best when you don't ask it if it's a word. You should just like own it. If it's not a word, it is now. Yeah, of course that's a word. <laughs> and that way everybody's thinking like, is that a word? It must be. He didn't ask. <laughs> he's really confident in it. He's really confident. Yeah, he's really confident. He really owned it. So I I had a question related kind of to all of that. I have roughly the equivalent of a uh, minor in music composition. So I've spent a lot of time doing that. And I'm just kind of curious what your process for creating something like this looks like. How do you approach it? What kind of tools? I mean, do you sit down and hammer down on a piano or are you in software or how does that work for you? Yeah. So I, for, from just writing songs with Sleeping at Last, I've sort of learned that for me, demoing and sketching out ideas is actually not ideal for me. Mm -hmm. So when I record, I kind of, if I have an idea, even if it's something I don't love, I will record it well the first time. I will try to do my best at record it with the right mics and with the right piano or with the right guitar or whatever. Um, And with the intention that if this does turn into a song, it's going to I, I'm, this is the start of me recording mm-hmm. it rather than I'm going to demo this and then I'm going to record it later for real. Yeah. And I'm going to keep trying to chase this initial inspiration that's never, it never happens. Demoitis is a real thing. <laughs> so for me, um, for me going back with like the, the film score, I, I would write very, very rough sketches and um, they, I wouldn't even call them demos. They were more just like a couple piano notes that I sort of felt like would uh, would make sense well before I saw the film. This was just sort of based on what I knew about the story and looking at her art. I would write, um, I think, almost idyllic, again, another example. Um, that was probably a derivative of one of those little sketches that I mm. kind of put together. Um, so I did, I don't know, a dozen of like little tiny you know, iPhone recordings, um, of, of, of little piano melodies that might, that might make sense. And then, um, that was well before the, the movie came my way and actually, uh, well before I got to actually sit down and put it into my, my, um, pro tool system and actually start scoring it. So I would, I kind of prepped in that way and just sort of got familiar with her, with her art and with the story a little bit. And, um, I just asked a ton of questions too, to the director. I, I just was, uh, was kind of, uh, just trying to kind of figure out what it might sound like before I actually see it. And cause that can, you sometimes maybe would, you almost see it differently if you have a different mm-hmm. um, perception of it in your head. 
So I like the idea of kind of doing some some groundwork before uh, before I actually got to score. So cool. Mm-hmm. That was my process, and then as I went and as I actually got the um, there was multiple cuts of the film, but as I got the film, I would uh, kind of work on it in segments. So I would save my Pro Tools session um, as like a five minute chunks mm-hmm. so the first five minutes of the film would be named one thing even though it, it would contain you know four or five different pieces of music mm-hmm. um so i would just kind of approach it like that as i would finish it i would send it to the director and um she would be kind enough to either give me the thumbs up or just have a couple notes on it mm-hmm. or um and then basically i would go back and kind of finalize it. I, ha- I was really particular about wanting to finish whatever i was working on while i was working on it so i, I asked for feedback pretty quick to make sure mm-hmm. that i could kind of tie things up as I go. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's always, it's always hard. I'm, my brain has like, I, I've said this before, but it has like, it's like computer RAM where it only has space for like, <laughs> I don't know, 30 minutes of music memory that I have. Um, and then anything that gets new pushes out some other songs that I used to remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, it's just constantly shifting. So I, I knew that if I had to go back on some of the earlier, uh, score that I worked on, if there were notes later, it would be much more hard, harder to familiarize myself with, uh, with what I did. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so I kind of, I tied things up as I went and, uh, um, and it sort of just all kind of unfolded that way. Hmm. Cool. I know you're a multi-instrumentalist. Yeah. Did you have a lot of other people work on this project with you or were you pretty insulated in taking care of everything yourself? I was actually completely insulated. I didn't have anybody work on uh, this oh, wow. project with me at all. It was all all recorded and performed by me. Um, a mixture of like with strings. I'm not actually a great violinist at all. I'm actually pretty terrible, <laughs> or or a cellist. Um, I I have them and I can play notes on them barely, <laughs> but um, I. I, I mostly use when I'm when it, when it's just me performing strings. I will mostly write strings that are more atmospheric and less uh, melody driven because um, I just am not that good at a performer with that stuff. So when I do have full on like quartet arrangements and stuff for Sleeping at Last songs, I will hire um, some of my favorite players to play that stuff. But but for this for this project, I knew just for time and and with just uh, the general workflow, it would just be really helpful for me to try to make it all completely insulated and just me. So um, I did have at the very end, I had my friend Chris Bethay master the master the music. So I mixed it and engineered it and produced it. But um, he was the final leveling out of the of the volumes and and dynamics of the of the piece. Very cool. So let's shift gears a little bit. The first time that I saw Sleeping at Last was in 2004 at a Christian music festival oh in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I've been listening to your music for a really long time. <laughs> wow, thanks, man. That's awesome. Yeah. That's very yeah. cool. I appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. So that was uh, obviously a completely different experience than... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a little different yeah what was that one called what was that festival called it was called hear no evil fest oh weird i i do i do have a recollection of that huh there you go so we really are interested in the long view of how people do careers and how people do technology and art and all these things so we're really interested in how the beginnings of sleeping at last which were much more rock oriented even though there's still the sonic palette even then there were some hints of where you were going with sleeping at last. Um, how, how your career trajectory has gone from the very early two thousands to now, which is an astonishingly long time to keep one name. Really? The, I mean, the reason is cause I've got nothing better to do. This is, like, this is it for me. <laughs> like, and I, it, it always, 
it's so funny because I always see different artists that are like, all right, I'm going to change the name and still write music. I'm like, but it's the, it's the same thing. You just change the name. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, so I just, I have kept, I have kept Sleeping Last going for, for a very long time. And thankfully I've been fortunate enough where I'm still finding lots of new fans and or listeners. And so I've been, I've been very fortunate to, that people are, are listening to what I do. Yeah. That could, that could change any minute, but I'm grateful that they, uh, that anybody's paying attention right now. What is kind of the way you've thought about that shift in, in tone and sound and trajectory and whatnot? Is that something you've been really conscious of kind of plotting out? Or is it more just as you come to each album, you say, what do I want to do with this? And it just changes over time as you change, et cetera. Yeah, I would say, I mean, there's not a, there's not a very conscious effort to change styles as I go or change like the genre, I guess, like the, the trajectory of sleeping at last. Like I, I never, I didn't know 10 years ago that I'd be doing like series of music like I'm doing right mm-hmm. now. Um, or even the, the type of more like folk slash singer songwritery type of stuff either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I, it, it does sort of make sense as I look back though, because I feel like I've always gravitated, even when I was, even the beginning of sleeping at last when it was more like full band, like rock. I, I mean, I hate to say even rock cause I, I feel like we were pretty sissy rock. If, uh, <laughs> if, we, <laughs> if any, if anything, um, but before when there was, you know, full on drums and, and uh, distorted guitars and stuff, I always, always loved the, like the ballad of every record. Like I was, that was always my favorite song of, of every band that I, you know, bought a CD from at the time. You know, it would always, my favorite song would for sure be the two or three quietest, gentlest songs on the, on the record. Um, so that, that sort of made sense. I've always, I've always loved strings and I've always loved orchestrations and, and music and um so i've gravitated towards that i've always loved film scores actually too so i feel like that's heavily influenced sleeping at last sound and so it just sort of, it was a, it was sort of a natural evolution of um of just what i'm into but i do i do put a pretty a conscious effort to not not get too comfortable like i don't i don't want to keep putting out the same music like i'm not interested in kind of regurgitating the same kind of stuff and um i think it's always a risk when you like something <laughs> yeah to do that because you're just like well I would like to write another song just like that because that's my favorite kind of song. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm, and I don't know how successful I am at that because um, I think I do my my songs do kind of. Um, I'm assuming for people uh, that maybe aren't into that style of music as much, they maybe they do run together a little bit. But um, but I do put a between each project specifically, I put um, I put a little bit of effort into like okay, I'm going to change the instrument instrumentation or I'm going to mm. kind of change my palette to work from. Um, and I do put a lot of, I, I try to challenge myself quite a bit with, um, not only with the projects that I'm doing, but also with, uh, I'm trying to think of an example with the song specifically, like, um, uh, there's a song on my yearbook project that I, that I limited to only, only Mellotron instruments. Mm-hmm. So it was only these samples from this one particular keyboard. And, um, so that was really fun, really challenging, but really, really fun to kind of, and I think it does end up making some different type of, uh, type of music for me. And then another one I, I just did recently, um, actually it was, it was about a year or so ago, um, called Mercury. And that I limited myself to only metallic instruments, mm. um, just because the, you know, the planet Mercury is, has metallic elements in, involved. So at least what I read about it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought that'd be a really cool palette to kind of, uh, to kind of write from like only, only metal instruments. And so even the drum set uh, was recorded huh. by a friend of mine that was all car parts. It was all metallic oh, car parts. That's so, cool. Um, Very cool. So yeah. So, so I, I do kind of put an effort into 
making sure that I, I don't, it doesn't get too easy where I can just kind of write the same song over and over, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So you've mentioned yearbook and Atlas so far, which we're both really interested in as alternative distribution methods. Mm -hmm. So it's not just yeah. putting out an album and saying, here it is, here we go. Totally. So how did you develop that? And how did you market that as you went along? Yeah, for sure. So it started with yearbook and it was, it was actually sort of a, it was more of a creative challenge for me than anything else. Mm -hmm. um, even before I realized it would, um, it would kind of challenge the, the the standard like distribution model. I mean, I knew I knew I knew that it was going to be different than what I was used to what I was used to doing. But um, it was mostly driven by I wanted to write more songs in a year's time. Um, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's a songwriter in uh, in Los Angeles, and he. He asked me, he's like, hey, how many songs do you write a year for Sleeping Last? And I'm like, oh, at that time, this is like five or six years ago. At that time, I, the answer was about four, four or five songs a year. And he's like, oh, wow, okay. And I was like, how about you? How many songs do you write? And he, he said like he said like 100 or something. Oh and gosh. I was like, oh, that's, that's insane. It's <laughs> so crazy. And so I left that conversation feeling kind of like, that sounds like that's so inspiring that, that he's devoted to writing that much and like – how amazing it must feel to have that much content and that much, um, inspiration kind of jotted down. And, um, and so I, I, after thinking about it for a couple months, I, I heard another interview, uh, or actually I heard an interview with, uh, with Hans Zimmer who talked about going into film scoring and kind of what he loved about film scoring. And he talked about when he used to be in a band, cause I guess that was what he did before he was, uh, you know, the well-known film composer that he is. He, uh, he felt like he's, he's kind of irritated because you'd, you do your record, you'd make your record, and then you'd go on your record cycle of touring and, and promoting it. And he said he hated it because you'd, you'd be in this really great creative space. And then you'd go and basically talk about the music for another year or two before you make any new music. So you're just talking about it all the time. You're not actually making it. Mm -hmm. um, so with, with film composing, he was saying that he loved the idea of constantly writing and constantly making music. So between those two, uh, between my conversation and that and that interview with, with Hans Zimmer, I, I, I realized that like there was like this this uh this pattern in me that was like why am i not writing music it's the thing i love doing like it's so silly yeah. if i want to make this my living why am i writing so infrequently and and, yeah. and it is it, as it, as as an independent musician it, i i felt like it was it's sort of anticlimactic you spend you know so much money and um time and energy into this one 12 song record or 10 or whatever songs it is and then you promote it and then it's it's old news in a couple months <laughs> like right. already yeah. you you put it out and people are kind of like cool when's your next record coming out you're like <laughs> I just, I just spent two years on that. I just, I just did that. <laughs> I just did that. Oh my gosh. Um, so I feel like it was a combination of all those things. And I had, a, I had a meeting with my manager and she was like, okay, well, this was like right after my storyboards record came out, I guess it was probably a, maybe a year or so after that record came out. And she's like, well, what do, you, what do you want to do next? Are you working, are you working on new songs for a new record or like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I kind of, what if, if this would be crazy and I don't even know if I could physically do it, but what if I like wrote and recorded and committed to like a ton of songs in the course of a year. And so eventually like through that conversation, it, it ended up being like, okay, three songs every month for a year would be 36 songs total. And it would be, it would be doable. I think hmm. it would challenge me in, in, in crazy ways. But I think that I feel like I felt like I, I came to that number based on like, 
okay, how would, how would it logistically work out? Like for me to actually write and record and mix and, you know, and get, get the songs mixed and mastered and, and, um, and release them all within a month's time. Like would I, would I write, would I do them in, in advance? Would I, like, how would I do this? And, and it, it, it occurred to me that like, I think if I do nothing else in my life for that year, <laughs> I think I can, <laughs> I can write 36 songs. And so I did. And I honestly, I, when I started the project, I, it was a means to an end. I took subscriptions for it because I felt like it, it'll be annoying if you're a sleeping last fan to have to remember every month that there's a new EP. Mm-hmm. So for people that were kind of wanting the convenience of it being delivered to their inbox. Um, mm-hmm. so it was quite, sort of a means to an end. And I feel like that actually created a, um, an, like an infrastructure for, for these subscription and series models that I've been doing since. Yeah. And I, I wasn't honestly sure if I would be able to finish the project. <laughs> I was pretty sure that, uh, halfway through, I might be issuing some refunds, <laughs> but, um, but I pushed through and, and it was really, it was actually, it was one of the, I mean, what I'm doing right now is, is extremely creative status extremely creatively satisfying to me, but, but I feel like your book was kind of the start of like artistically finding what I want to do with my career. You know what I mean? Like I, I knew I wanted to write songs. I knew like everything was kind of pointing to a, a thing. And I feel like your book was the, was the most, um, directly pointing to the thing that I want to be doing. You know what I mean? And it, writing all the time, I think it made me a better producer. I think it made me a better writer. I think it made me less scared of, writing songs. Cause I think if you, especially for me, if I was writing three or four songs a year or whatever, I would come back to like when we'd actually record a record for the first time in two or three years and those songs would be gathered up. I would be so nervous about mm-hmm. how my voice sounds on the recording. Um, mm-hmm. cause it's, it's a muscle that you kind of have to keep, keep worked out. Um, and so with these series of music that I've been doing, your book was the first, um, 36 songs I did make it through obviously. <laughs> so, and, uh, it, it worked out very, very well. And, um, one of the best, you know, outside of creatively being really, really fun for me, one of the biggest, I guess, uh, surprises of the whole thing was that it, it, it grew my audience significantly. Mm-hmm. It, put, it put my music on the map of a lot of different TV and film, um, music supervisors, which I was really thrilled about because I, I love, uh, just as a fan, I love music or music and film and TV. And, and I, you know, outside of music, I just love film and TV. <laughs> so it was really cool to, to finally be able to make, to have something I've made be a part of that world. Um, and that was all because of the, the yearbook project that I did. So that has informed everything I've done since in the last, you know, four or five years now. And your book was actually what led me to your stuff. I think Stephen linked it oh, to cool. me a while That's back awesome. and I was like, this is awesome. And mm-hmm. kind of turned Thanks. into a fanboy. So, yeah, that's amazing. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm actually a subscriber to the second year of Atlas. So I'm really excited about those. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Atlas is uh, was sort of the answer to your book. Um, as you know, it's sort of like a, rather than like a one year project that was just more about the writing three songs a month for a year, I, I decided that it would be really kind of interesting to move away from like the calendar as a theme and more interesting to, to maybe do like a long form thematic, mm-hmm. like almost like a, you know, a half decade concept album, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, and <clears throat> I don't know exactly how long it's going to go, but I'm, like you said, I'm on year two of this Atlas project and, and it kind of covers the themes of uh, the origins of the universe and, and human life and development. And so it's been really fun. And I've got a couple, two or three more years actually mapped out in my themes oh, wow. music for that. So it'll be the, the, um, the project I'm, I'm writing for, for, for quite some time.
So that leads me to a question that Chris and I have discussed quite often and at length is, what do you think the future of your music is, but as, as well, the future of music in general? Because everywhere you turn, people are like, no one buys music. Everyone is doomed. We're all going to live in boxes under the bridge playing music together. But I won't sell that guitar. I won't sell it. I'll just live in a box with my guitar. <laughs> That's true. That is, that is true. Um, I would say I, I lean a little bit more towards the embracing of, I don't know, um, the, I, I feel like every new medium that, that comes out for music, every new technology that sort of factors into uh, how we distribute music and how we consume music, I'm, I'm sort of like, I'm sort of for it. You know, I feel like music is, it doesn't do much good if nobody can hear it. Um, I mean, I feel like if it's, if it's just for you, I think that that has, has personal merit for sure. But it's, it's, um, my guess is that most people that write music are hoping to find an audience and hoping to find, um, um, I mean, a lot of people are wanting to make careers out of music too. So I feel like every, every, every format or every, um, every platform innovate every innovative platform i feel like is really it's really important and um and i feel like it's just another way especially as independent musicians um are concerned i feel like it's just another way that your music can possibly be heard um i mean it is i mean even in the course of the last 10 15 years the idea of needing a record label and then now we're in a time where like right now we're recording this podcast and you guys could distribute it as soon as we're done to everybody on the planet that wants mm -hmm. it. <laughs> like that's, that's crazy. So that distribution model is, um, is insane. And it is so, uh, it is so instant gratification in, in for better or worse <laughs> that it yeah. is. I, I do think that for, for, for music, uh, makers, I feel like it's, it's a really beautiful thing that you can, you can make something and find an audience as, as quickly as that. But I do, I will also say that of course there are negatives to people kind of devaluing the, the mm -hmm. music as a whole. <laughs> and, um, I do feel like there is so much music right now, uh, that, that it is, it is very hard to, uh, it's hard to find much of an audience because, you know, there's the, the audiences are spread so thin between a trillion artists, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I, so I'm, I'm an optimist about it. I feel like it's a really great thing. Like when Spotify came to the States, like I felt like every, I heard so many negative, um, people talking about it that were just sort of like, this is, this is going to ruin music. Like, and I feel like, yeah, the model for Spotify is not, um, it's not going to benefit the artist as much as an artist selling a ton of digital downloads or CDs or vinyl or whatever. But honestly it it i mean it it is a revenue stream for me that's that's been really healthy and really really good and um i know for a fact that a lot of my opportunities in film and tv have come from people that have that have heard it on a random spotify playlist hmm. so for me i feel like it always it, it out, you know it balances itself out so you you may not make as much money with these new platforms but um at the same time, like if it brings a much wider audience to what you're doing, I feel like that's there's a lot of value in that, and there's a lot of hope in that too. So, so I'm I'm for it. I'm 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 excited about the different um, possibilities that music had. I, I had a conversation. This is like three or four years ago with a 
with a friend of mine who he's a, a super successful businessman having nothing to do with music whatsoever. But he was kind enough to talk to me about like, you know, the music industry for a few minutes. And I think he was kind enough to show interest in, <laughs> in, in that world outside of his own. And he, he said something that kind of stuck with me. He's like, you know, what's so cool about music um, and entertainment, but specifically music is that technology is going to advance in like unimaginable ways that will be like the um, the foundation of different ways that people can consume music. And there's not really much, there's not really many other mediums that have that in their future. Mm-hmm. Like the, the future is so huge for music mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and how people consume music. And I, I, I totally agree with that. I think that there are other mediums that totally will benefit from that as well. Mostly, you know, film and TV and things like that, but obviously yeah. with like Netflix and how things are constantly evolving there. But, um, I think with music, music has been around like film and TV hasn't been around forever. Music has been around right. for as long as I think as long as recorded human history, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I might be totally making it up. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that at least it's 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 far back there. It's old. It's old. And so I feel like I feel like that's that's really exciting to uh, to know that the the, the future is just going to be more outlets for for that music to hang on. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So that was a long winded answer. It was, no, a, man, it was a great answer. That's fantastic. We've been talking a lot about that. We've had episodes that talk about YouTube and how how difficult it is, but also how positive it is. And we've talked about Spotify and iTunes. So yeah, all those things, we definitely are on board with the the optimistic while acknowledging that there are some difficulties. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there are difficulties, but there's also really great things happening and moving forward. I think. Yeah, yeah. I do think that with um with there being so much content in the in the universe right now, I feel like curation is going to be key to, and I think it already is, but I think it, it will that will become even more uh, important as we go on consuming as much as we do to like. Even down to like, I don't know, like Rotten Tomatoes is is sort of a really great gauge for me to figure out what movies I'm excited about. And that's, I think it's probably terrible of me to admit that because <laughs> I'm sure there are great films that uh, that don't get amazing Rotten Tomato scores. But at the same time, I, I have found that I generally agree with the, the average of the reviews. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I feel mm-hmm. like there are, there are tools and, um, and, and even like, um, I don't know if Apple music has, has executed this quite yet, but I feel like I love the idea. Actually, Spotify has done a really good job at the curated playlist. Like I mm-hmm. feel like when you find someone that, whether it's like a music critic or even just another artist that you like, or, and you can kind of hear what they're excited about, like that, that becomes like the, its own little radio station, you know, its own like yeah. curated playlist. It's pretty, I think that those are, those are going to be more important as we go. Hmm. Yeah, totally. One of the things we normally do when we wrap up is uh, before you go, here's kind of a thing you should know about. And so I just thought I would throw that out to you and say, is there anything you would you know, point our audience to, and that could be, you know, another artist you love or a cause you care about that you think people should know about or something that hit the news recently that is just important to you, et cetera. Basically the thing you do at the bottom of your email list, which I absolutely love. Oh, awesome. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, well, I feel like it'd be terrible if I don't say like a cause that I'm excited about. <laughs> like, eh, who cares about the causes? This Netflix show I've been watching is amazing. Two yeah. weeks ago, we talked about giant fighting robots. So pretty much everything is fair game. 
<laughs> yeah. Everything's fair game. Yeah. How about I'll do I'll do both. How about awesome. that? Okay, That's great. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I I recently did a um, charity water campaign for my birthday. Um, mm. It was just a little bit ago. So um, if anybody is interested in, I, I feel like I should say what I love about charity water is it is such a direct and beautiful response to helping people find clean water. Like it's a really, mm-hmm. like you understand where the money goes and you understand how it helps people. And it's mm-hmm. this, right. this extremely um, straightforward cause that is only good. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I, I, I've been a huge fan of charity water for quite some time. So if you aren't familiar with charity water, I would encourage you to check them out and um, kind of see what they're all about. But if you are interested in in helping out, I have a, a charity water birthday campaign where I'm raising a little bit of money for to build a well. In, um, actually, I don't think they tell you until um, they actually give you updates on where your well was built exactly uh, after the campaign runs. So it, it's even as direct as that is showing exactly where your money went. But anyway, so if you guys are interested, that's um, just look up Sleeping at Last, Ryan O'Neill, um, Charity Water, and you should be able to find that. But we'll put that in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much. And, um, yeah, I would say another thing that's not as helpful to the world (laughs) as as charity water might be, uh, would be right now. I'm really, uh, this is terrible, but I really like that show Narcos on uh, Netflix. Have you guys seen it? (laughs) I have Uh, not. not It's, uh, it's totally not, um, it's, it's, it's great. I don't know. It's, it's really, really good, but it's, uh, it's, it's not for the the faint-hearted. <laughs> it's, it's a show about Pablo Escobar, um, and so it's based on true story stuff. Mm. But it's a it's another like a Netflix original program, and um, I'm a huge fan of what they've done so far with like House of Cards and Orange Is the New Black, and um, so they're doing they're doing good good TV shows. That I'm I'm excited about, but uh, Narcos is the newest one that I've I've been into, and it's a uh, it's a uh, it's graphic in a lot of ways, but it's um. It's really fascinating, and uh, it's beautifully made as well. So, mm. Thanks for those. We will link them up in the show notes for our listeners. Yeah. That'd be great. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So we really appreciate you taking the time to to talk with us. This has been really, really cool. Yeah. Like I said, I've been a fan for a really long time. Chris is a big fan, and so thank you. Uh, it's just been really great. I appreciate it. No, it's so so fun to talk to you guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for setting this up and for bearing with me with my uh, with my podcast technical difficulties. <laughs> no problem. We the, have- lis- the listeners may not know, but we have we have battled many <laughs> many interruptions <laughs> before this it's started. True. <laughs> yeah, it is true. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll we'll be sure to you know link all the things that you talked about and your projects and all that. That would be amazing. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank cool. you. Thank you for your time and for great music. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. It's like I said, I have no backup plan, so this is uh, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> this week was by sleeping at last of course thanks to ryan for letting us use it 
You can find a link to his music as well as to other notes on this week's show at winningslowly.org slash 3.09. Thanks to Jeremy W. Sherman for sponsoring the show this month. You can find the full list of sponsors in the show notes. And if you'd like to support the show yourself, you can pledge monthly at patreon.com slash winningslowly or give directly at cash.me slash dollar sign winningslowly. We'd also like to thank PodClear for letting us use their app, currently in beta, to record this session. If you're looking for a way to record high-quality audio for podcasts, you should take a look at PodClear.com. You get individual audio files for every participant, as well as a combined master track. And they didn't ask us to say nice things about them, but we offered to because we really appreciate their letting us try out their service. We highly recommend it for these kinds of interviews. You can subscribe to the show in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And hey, if you like the show, would you do us a favor and rate and review us on iTunes? You can also follow us on Twitter or app.net at Winning Slowly or subscribe to our Facebook page. We post not only the episodes there, but also content related to previous episodes. And last but not least, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Hit us up on any of those social media or email us at hello at winningslowly.org. As always, thanks for listening. Can you guys hear that construction? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Sleeping at last goes industrial. Right. <laughs> All of my music is going to feature that. Actually, probably will on accident, but. Um... <laughs> You're right, that is pretty loud. <laughs> <clears throat> that actually does sound like dubstep. <laughs> that bass rumble. Yep. That high whine. Rumble Dub Rumble. This is- I should say it first, right? You go. You go. I got it now. So I'll go, Stephen will go, then you'll go. Got it. That's what I thought. Yeah. But there was a long silence there. It scared me. Yep. I always it give myself a little pause just so I have a good place to cut in. Yeah. It makes sense. Uh.